Hey, Bethel Cleveland listeners. We just want to remind you that we've launched a brand new show called the Steve Witt Podcast. Each week, join Steve Witt as he goes further into the word and he offers his unique perspective on the things going on around the world. You don't want to miss this, so check it out. Search Bethel Cleveland on Apple or Spotify Podcasts. Enjoy. Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. We open the scripture. We're going to go to Acts 2. We've been speaking about food. I listened to Jay's message last week. What an amazing message that was. <clears throat> I don't know if you were here. <clears throat> if you weren't here, you need to go online. I listened to it online and I... Uh, I just, I mean, I took notes. I thought, this is a powerful message. It was about communion, but it was so much more than that. And so we're doing this series on food. You probably saw our banners in the, out in the lobby or whatever. We, a series of food I've been wanting to do for about six months. It's been in my mind because the Holy Spirit has used food in my life as a training, understanding, revelatory thing for probably about 20 years, I would say. Beyond that, but I didn't recognize it as that. That God uses food. There's something supernatural about food. If you go right back to the beginning of time, I mean, the first encounter we have with, with our trust in God is over food. You know, which tree will you eat from? Actually, of the thousand trees that were in the garden or the tree of the knowledge of good and wisdom, that's the only one you can't eat from, just one tree. And next to it, in the center, what the, most Jewish mystics believe, it was at the center of the garden. At the center of the garden was a tree of life, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then a thousand of other trees that were just great trees. I mean, there was fruits of all kinds. It was, but if they ate of the tree of life, they would live forever. And if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would surely die, the Word of God says. And so from the beginning, there's been this, and, and actually in the end of time, it ends at this great, Marriage Supper of the Lamb. How many of you are going to be there? Any of you got your ticket already? Yeah, I've, I've uh, reserved it. Uh, when I was eight years old, I reserved it uh, by giving my heart totally to Jesus Christ. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. <clears throat> and someday we will gather together in heaven and we will have the Thanksgiving of all Thanksgivings. <laughs> and every ethnic group will be there, every tongue, every nation. Every tribe will gather together and we will worship. I can't even talk about it. We will worship. I tell you, in times like this where things are a little more difficult, you think more about heaven, or you should. That is our hope. The New Testament church and all through the ages, they dreamed of heaven. They thought of heaven, mainly because they lived in very dire circumstances. And they're always thinking there's somewhere better. There's some, I'm just, I am going to walk on streets of gold. To me, it doesn't matter if the streets are gold or not. Some people say it's symbolic and everything. I really don't care. Uh, Jesus will be there. That's where I want to be. And I, I know that he's an amazing architect. He's an amazing craftsman. He was a carpenter for probably 20 years here on earth. He, he created the universe. And he spent now thousands of years creating this beautiful city called the City of God, that Galatians says hovers above us. Isn't that kind of amazing? It's probably right here and someday we'll go, it was right there and we didn't even see it. We were touching heaven in a powerful way. And we're gonna eat together. And we're gonna have amazing stuff and everything's gonna be gluten-free. 
<laughs> but it's actually going to taste good. <laughs> It'll be sugar-free, gluten-free, and yet it's going to taste wonderful. You go, that's impossible. I know. With God, all things are possible. So, you know, I started out, you know, the first time I encountered this in such a way that it, it shaped, it, it gave me, it was like an awakening. You know, when you're growing up and you hear something that, <clears throat> that you'd never heard about before? I was thinking of actual, that sexual talk that you have with your parents, hopefully, but then I thought, yeah, probably I don't want to get too, too big into that right now and get our thoughts off topic, but... That is one of those topics that when it is shared with you, whether it's by your fellow third grader <clears throat> or by some teacher somewhere or, or a parent or whatever, there's typically some aha moment going on there. Like, whoa, why did I not know this? You know, and so in the spirit, there's same things that happen where you I don't care what age you are, there's so much revelation. The Bible says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. It's not even entered in the heart of man. The things that God has for those who, who love him, I mean, it's, it's the thing of the Spirit. The Spirit reveals them, though. It says right after that in Corinthians, right after that, it says, but the Spirit of God reveals it to his people. And so periodically, we get a revelation. And when you get a revelation, it's like, whoa, whoa. I mean, sometimes it's the love of God. When you, I know, I know, you know, I always believe that God loved me. How many of you know that you can, have, you can believe that God loves you, but not have it, have it dynamically transforming your heart yet? <clears throat> and one day you hear a message or something happens, you're listening to a song, and all of a sudden a portal opens up in your heart. I don't want to be too mystical today, but that's what happens. Portal opens up in your heart, and you're like, oh, he loves me. And everyone around you is like, well, of course, how long? You've known the Lord for 20 years. I know, but he, he loves me. He loves me. And they're like, oh, no. He's toast for the rest of the day, man. He tapped into the true love of God. He's believed it in his head. He's even kind of believed in his heart. But now God came and just enveloped his heart, invaded his heart in love. It changes you. It changes you. And I was in Norway, it was somewhere in the late 90s with a friend of mine who's no longer alive. He, he was uh, traveled with me uh, to a couple of places, uh, uh, Mark Gonzalez. And uh, we went to Norway and <clears throat> Norway was first time, first time, actually my first and only time in Norway. And I got there and it was cold, <laughs> as Norway is. But the people are not. The people are so used to this. They've lived there for thousands of years, they live a life we don't live. I mean, it could be 26 degrees out, and they will drink their coffee out at a table on the street. They have cafes are open. You sit outside, you kind of, you know, ruffle up your jacket a little bit, and you sit there, and you have a great cuppa. That's what they call it, a cuppa. It's ain't very English. A cup of coffee, a cup of tea, you know, you have a cuppa. And so you're drinking it, and I got there, and I thought, you people are crazy, man. I'm going inside. Is there a fireplace in there? I'm going to sit by the fire. I hate being cold, you know. And I spent 10 years in Canada. That was my sentence, eight to 10 years in Canada. <clears throat> I love you, Barb. It's my mother-in-law who lives in Canada. And so I, I thought, this is different. And, you know, I, I really, that was when I had, like, like international shakeup of my brain, that people don't all think like Americans. Actually, my first shakeup was meeting a Canadian woman when I was 19 years old that I eventually married. That was a major shakeup 
that is still shaking me to this day, you know. So <laughs> I thought, well, she's not American. She is now. <laughs> I won. But anyway, <laughs> that, can, that Canadians actually are different. So I go to this guy's Norway home. His wife had recently passed away, and he was grieving from it. And, and a, lot of, a lot of, you know, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, when I would go overseas, a lot of times, this still happens periodically, I would stay in people's homes. And, and so you, they call it billeting. And <laughs> you stay in someone's home. And, uh, you know, we'd get in some really nice homes, some, some not so nice. This is a nice home. And uh, he had art all over the house. And uh, <clears throat> I was fascinated by it. And so he talked to me about it. He was obviously in very European style, an expert on every piece of art that he owned. And he would show it to you and you'd be like, oh, that, you know, as a good American, you go, oh, that's beautiful. You know, I don't understand what you just said, but it's amazing. And, uh, and then what happened was each night, we were there about three nights, each night we ate dinner in a different room. And I thought, I even asked him about it. I thought, is this what you do? And he goes, yeah, we'd like to experience every room. Uh, and I thought, what? You know, so we're in the living room one day, what we'd call the living room, dining room one day, the kitchen. And every night the food was amazing. Lots of fish, you know, because we're in Norway. Lots of fish. And we'd sit down. And I remember there's showers. When you take a shower in the morning, you'd go in there in the morning and they'd have the window wide open. It'd be like 32 degrees out, you know. And I'd close it, you know. And, and then, of course, later on, he said, I noticed you closed the shower window. Is it was something wrong with that? I said, no. And I said, you keep it open? I thought maybe you left it open. He goes, oh, we'd like to keep it open to keep the room cool. And I'm like, I like to keep it closed to keep the room warm. You know, so, so anyway, I'm learning all these things. And every day, you know, at first I thought, well, this is kind of weird. You know, it feels like a progressive dinner or something. You know, but, but the funny thing is, I got into it by the third day. By the third day, I felt the presence of God that there's something about movement there's something about food and connection with the person and the change of environment. There's something about bringing beauty into every aspect of your life. And when I ate my food, and this has happened to me a couple times, I'm sorry for getting emotional. I try to say this stuff without getting emotional, but I can't. But there's something powerful about the connection with people the food we eat, and the environment we're in. So powerful that even in Nazi Germany, as Jews were hidden away, even just breaking the morsels of bread they had, being hidden away in a hiding place, as they broke the bread away, they would, they would weep in their moment because the communion spoke, the breaking of the bread spoke of something that was beyond what was going on outside their doors. What was going on in the death camps and everything else and seeing their parents and family dragged out, put on trains saying that they're going out to a better place only for them to be sent to death camps. And so when they broke the bread all throughout history, really as the greater comforts come, the, the human comforts come in play in the world, the lesser we appreciate the simple things that God has given us and really anointed with power like baptism and communion. I remember years ago when I was challenged about communion, we would traditionally have what Pentecostals do, communion, one time a month. And hanging around with my Anglican friends like Roger and others like that, I began to realize that sometimes in the Anglican church, they take communion weekly and encourage it at home on a daily basis. It was like an aha moment. I know, I was raised Pentecostal, so I didn't think that way. And it was like, wow, we need to do that. 
And so for over a decade here in this church, that's why we usually have it available out there for you to partake anytime you want during worship, because we want this to be a part of the feast on Sunday morning as you take the bread, you take the blood, you remember the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not just bread and drink. It is a supernatural transformation in the remembrance of what Jesus did. It's got, a, it's got, it's got anointing on it. There's a, there's a mystical understanding of everything that happens in our lives. In the Pharaoh Islands, when I arrived there, this 18-piece island group <clears throat> located between Norway, Iceland, and England. I'm so glad I went there. I went there three times. I loved it. I would have moved there. There's not any trees on any of the islands. It's bizarre. If you saw, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of it. There's a movie used, that was filmed there years ago. Kind of a fun comedic kind of movie. But they have cliffs like, I don't know, thousand feet cliffs. They're like puzzle pieces lifted out of the ocean, you know. And in that place, I, I encountered something I had never encountered before, which I've mentioned before, and I do repeat for the reason of emphasis, that when I stepped foot out of the plane, one of the roughest plane rides I've ever been in my life, they flew between two islands and we were below the islands. <laughs> That's how high they were. And it was kind of rough, you know, as you're coming in there. We landed. When I landed, I was like, thank God. I had the worst ferry ride and the worst plane ride I've ever had in the Faroe Islands. But I was sitting there at the, in, in Torsaben, the capital there. I went down for breakfast, and traditionally they eat kind of fish and egg for breakfast. So I'm sitting there eating it, you know. It's the first time I ate whale, too. But I was sitting there eating it. And the music is playing in the background. It's, it's, our, it's their equivalent to... Uh, national Public Radio. And uh, on National Public Radio, every morning for about an hour, they play hymns. You imagine if that was America? <laughs> and what it did is it set the day. You know, and you're there, and a lot of it's kind of Gregorian chant type stuff. Ooh. <laughs> I love Gregorian chants, you know. There's something mystical and powerful about the, the touch of ancient with current. And I tell you right now, millennials are discovering this. Millennials are going into the Catholic churches and, and in the liturgical churches by great numbers right now because they're, they're experiencing depression and hopelessness and fears and everything else. And there's something of the steady eddy uh, construct of liturgy that brings them into a focus. And I want to talk about that just for a few minutes too. So in Acts chapter 1, we're going to go to Acts 2 also. The day of Pentecost comes. They have been waiting for the promise of the Lord. <clears throat> they know it's the Holy Spirit. They do not probably know how it's going to manifest, but if they, were, if they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they would have probably known that the Holy Spirit was coming. Well, I just got revelation on that. If they'd have had the Holy Spirit moving in their lives, they would have known the moment. That Pentecost, think about it, it happened on a holiday. And the reason I'm bringing this up is there's four key, there's actually seven feasts, Jewish feasts that I want to talk about briefly. Four of those, four of those seven feasts relate exactly to key inflection points in Jesus' life or either his promise. Four of them. I mean, his... His death was on a Jewish holiday. His burial was on a Jewish holiday. His resurrection was on a Jewish holiday. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's 
invasion of planet Earth in power was on a Jewish holiday. So you think about that and you think, well, it's kind of a strange coincidence. No, it's the design of God from the beginning. He set up these holidays to describe the Jewish life, the, the covenant made with Abraham. It would be demarcation points of remembrance for Jews for thousands of years. The thing is, Jesus comes down, sent by God, and perfectly overlays these holidays, celebrations. And isn't it interesting, they're called the seven feasts. Jesus tied food into very important moments for the Jews and for Jesus, and I would submit for you too. We are in the tail end of the last Jewish holiday of this year, today. Tabernacle of tents, booths. I didn't plan it that way. I just discovered that this morning. <laughs> it's the last day, the 16th, is when they would put tents out. They would eat, they would enjoy. It was always a feast, always fun. There were moments of, obviously, lamentation and thought and everything else, but they thought of themselves, get this, God put all of Jewish history and tied it into food and feasting with one another. Do you know what that did to the memory? You know what the, they say the strongest memory you have is? Do you know what it is? Taste. Taste, you can taste something or smell. Smell, they're very close. Taste something, and it can take you right back to when you were five years old. I remember I found a picture of my father with a, with, he, had a, he had a leather jacket on. I was 10 years old, nine or 10 years old. I didn't know I had the picture. When I found it, I, I, I got emotional because I thought, oh, I didn't know I had this. You know, from my era, we don't have a lot of pictures from our childhood. <laughs> Just the way it works. You know, we didn't have like 10,000 shots of our childhood. We had maybe 10 <laughs> shots of our childhood and school pictures. They don't count. So anyway, I looked at that. I looked at it. And as soon as I saw that picture with his leather jacket, I smelled the leather in the jacket. So what God did was, he said, this is my theory. He said, I'm going to help you learn how to live your life. I'm going to show you the path of the Jews. Oh, how are we going to remember all that stuff? I mean, the history, the Pentateuch. Remember, we got Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Genesis is a movement book. Exodus is definitely a movement book. Leviticus is stable, strong. It's one place they do not move. Numbers is a movement book, a wandering book. And then you've got Deuteronomy, which actually is stable. It's a sermon. So you've got three that move and two that are stable. How could I ever remember all that when anyone who's, who's believed to being a priest in the church that was a murderer in the, I'm sorry, in the synagogue, uh, being a leader in the synagogue, by the time they were five years old, they had most of the Pentateuch memorized. It's like, whoa, how is that? Because every holiday, they went over it again. This is what happened. This is what they did. Oh, man, I'm 66 years old. That means 66 times I would have walked through the trek through eating. Now think about it. When they ate, and they would say, this is what they ate because of the bitterness of running away, of, of escaping out of bondage. But they were coming out of bondage. They ate their meal quickly. Like they do this, Jews do this every year on the Passover. They do it on, on various 
Uh, on Pentecost, there's different expression. Everyone has something different pointing to a place in time. You say, yeah, but we're not Jewish. Well, according to Romans, we are. In Christ. We're Jews not by birth, but by faith. We have entered into a sovereign plan of God. Do you think when Christians came along, God said, okay, we can get rid of the Old Testament now. It doesn't apply anymore. No. He now takes Jesus in your heart, overlays you upon the holidays. So here's the deal. When Pentecost breaks out, the disciples probably didn't recognize they were in a coded message from heaven. They probably did it later on. Yeah, it was kind of weird to happen on Pentecost. We were there 10 days. He said they're gonna tarry. It's possible because when the day of Pentecost had fully come is when the Holy Spirit came. It's interesting that Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. It's the celebration of the end of a harvest. Everyone would bring their harvest and they would sing songs as they went up to Jerusalem, you know, about the wheat or whatever they were bringing, you know, it's the, we're going to Pentecost. And by the way, Pentecost was one of the three celebrations, the feast that they had to travel. It was mandatory pilgrimage. Psalm 84 is a great example of it. Jesus himself throughout his life in 33 years would have made a hundred trips to Jerusalem, except when he maybe lived in Jerusalem for a while. A hundred trips to Jerusalem from Galilee over the years. Do you think something happens to a young man who's being, oh, it's Pentecost time. Oh, and they weren't like, I mean, they weren't like, ah, oh, we've got to go to church. <laughs> no, they were heading to the temple and they were carrying with them this spirit of celebration and all down the pathway. It was like, I was just talking to someone in the back room. Remember when the Cavs won the championship? And I was on, down at a pub at West 25th Street with a bunch of friends, uh, Cindy included. You know, we are there, and, uh, you know, the last shot and all that. Wow! <laughs> Everybody's, we walked out in the street, and people were body surfing on cars down the street. I mean, it was packed. It was, it was one big party. And the thing is, you know, eventually we, get, we find our car, and we're going to make it down 25th to get back to 71 to make it out to the outer edges of Brunswick, you know? And so we're going down 25th, but all the people in all those streets, all from, you know, from 26th Street, 24th Street, and all those side streets, everything else, they flooded onto 25th and formed this big Holy Spirit fire tunnel. <laughs> Thousands of people, thick, all the way down there. I mean, people, uh, door, windows were open, the hands were out, people were, you know, high-fiving all the way down as we were driving down. You know, you could have high-fived a thousand people if you wanted to. They were jumping at people's cars. I mean, it was a spirit of joy. You know, I think of this every time I think of this concept. When they were going down the main highway, Route 1 to Jerusalem, out of Galilee, People were flooding from all the streets. These were not strangers. These are people like, hey, we haven't seen you for a few months. You know, it's, it's the last festival. Yes, we're going down there together. They were anticipating the food, the fellowship, the connection, all in the presence of the Lord by the temple of God. Now we're the temple. We're carriers of his presence. And there's great anointing on the Jewish holidays that are actually Christian holidays or should be now. But I'll tell you one thing really clear, that God has demarcation points in your life 
sometimes associated with food, many times associated with food and people that you love dearly because the dynamic of what happens in you is different. It sticks. It's a better glue when you eat with someone than when you eat alone. And so the Lord created these seven points of glue, all feasts, all with food, gather together with your families, with those you love, with an excited heart, and eat food and see what I'm going to do. And it was a dimension of getting the history. You know what? You know what the, the, uh, tabernacle, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is? It's about how they had to, when they escaped Egypt, they had to live in tents. And so Jews will put a tent up in the yard to recognize the the Feast of uh, Booths, the Tabernacle of Booths. And so what it does, it realizes, it makes you think in that moment on that day of feast and you're reminded by the food you eat and reminded by somebody in your family, a patriarch speaking to you and saying, this is what the Lord speaks to us on these days. This is why we celebrate this. It's like you getting with your family at Thanksgiving. They start pulling all the photos out, you know. That's as close as we get to being Jewish. Oh, look, you were six years old. Oh, throw that photo away, please. That's our celebration. So we move into this. On Pentecost, they are, they are anticipating. I don't know what I've thought or what you might have thought about Pentecost. What did they do those 10 days? They were, they were fasting. They were weeping. They were wailing. I don't think so. I really don't. I don't know why we get certain concepts like that. I think they were anticipation of what was coming. I think that this was programmed into them for dozens of years, that Pentecost is significant. Maybe this is the day that the promise of the Lord is going to come. Oddly enough, it's the Feast of Harvest. And on that day, because of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, 3,000 people came to the Lord. Wow, that's a coincidence. How does God do all this stuff? He's smart. He's arranged your life. Everything in your life has meaning. And much of it, when you think back, is associated on times with family, times with friends, eating food in a special place. That's how you remember things. And Facebook helps us now. They pop it up. Five years ago this day, 10 years ago today, you were doing this. Like, oh, yes, I forgot all about that. Well, it's because we didn't make it a holiday. But we do remember Thanksgiving. We do remember Christmas. We typically remember our birthdays. Acts chapter 2 says this. And with many other words, I think we might even have it up here. Yeah, there we go. Wow, it's good, all right. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved. This is Peter speaking. Be saved from this perverse generation. What had happened? The Holy Spirit had come in power on the day of Pentecost. It'd be like Christmas. It'd be like Thanksgiving. Why do we not anticipate God would pick a day like that? And he did. Pentecost, in order, to, in order to demonstrate that everything the Jews hoped for was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I don't understand why a Jew can't put that together. Their eyes have been darkened. Well, thank God for a lot of some Jews and a lot of Gentiles. Their eyes were open. Maybe we didn't see it in the Jewish way, but we saw it. And even we're reverse engineering now and understanding how deep our Jewish roots are in Christ and how much God speaks to us through that. Verse 41. Those who gladly received the word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. Look at the steadfastness of what they continue in. 
The early church was birthed in a party. It was one big party. There was over, some believe, up to 200,000 people flooded Jerusalem for these parties. And many of them were multiple days. I love Jews. They don't just celebrate one day. They celebrate a whole bunch of days. In fact, Jesus, God actually established the greatest of all feasts is actually Shabbat, Shabbat, Sabbath. That is weekly, every Saturday. And it's meant to be a time of festive, festivity in the sense of being with family and not working and keeping your and putting your phone down and all this kind of stuff, you know, that we can extrapolate from that in the 21st century version. It says they continue steadfastly in apostles' doctrine. And look what's typically scripturally, things are listed according to priority, as you know. Apostolic doctrine, which is a teaching that was coming from the apostles, the word of God. Fellowship was number two. Breaking of bread was number three. And prayer was number four. It astounds me. I, I'm always amazed that worship is not in there. But we've made worship number one. There's nothing wrong with worship. We worship Lord God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. We put focus on it because it is something that surrounds our entire lives. But they gave themselves to the teaching to fellowship, which is koinonia, in the breaking of bread. That is exactly what it is, eating together, and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul. It's funny, it's, it's not just because of the signs and wonders. It says this, fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done. This is what I extrapolate from that. Fear came upon every soul. The reverence and the lifestyle and the rhythm that they lived astounded non-Christian people. They looked into a life and said, a life that is ordered no, look how they love one another. That was a quote from somewhere out of the uh, first hundred years. Uh, I think uh, uh, Justin or one of them uh, quoted that. I can't remember right now. To see how they love one another. There was a demonstration in the life they lived, not just on what happened Sunday morning, but every day they were eating together, they were feasting together, they were praying together. There was a dynamic, not just of the gathering together like we do right now, which I love and it's a definitely a part of church, but the church continues to move every day of the week and fear comes upon every soul because they see the lives of these people. And it says, all who believed were together. Everyone say together. They had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Think about it. They had 200,000 immigrants in the city at that time. And they opened their doors and homes, all Jewish. They opened their doors and their homes to them. And some of them, many of them, the 3,000 that got saved that day and 5,000 more just days later, the 8,000 people somehow got inculcated into that Jewish community in Jerusalem, even though they were from different parts of all over the Jewish world. They welcomed them in. Verse 46, so continuing daily. They didn't stop. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, so they went to the temple and they went house to house. It's a rhythm of scripture. And breaking bread from house to house, there it is again. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people. And what happened? The Lord added to the church daily 
those who are being saved. Every time I read this, I write it, I wrote it in my Bible. I said, well, of course. That's what I write after this, of course. You got food? You got happy people? You got people praising God? They're of good favor. They've got the gladness. They're positive about the future. They're eating food with simplicity, gladness of heart. They're breaking bread together. They're daily. They've got a rhythm of life. They're going to the temple. They're coming in homes. They're meeting in one another's homes. All these things are happening. It's like a party. We serve the party God. I was trying to think of what that word would be. You know, we got Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, you know, all these various things. I don't know, Jehovah party? I don't know, you know. It's, but there's something about God who loves it so much that when every soul comes into the kingdom of God, celebration breaks out in heaven. Party. That means that there's probably people being saved every second of every day around the world, which means Kevin is a nonstop party. If you don't like parties, you don't want to go to heaven. Jesus' parable of the three, the sheep, the lost coin, the son, they all lost. It's a picture of God's character. At the end, the commonality between those three things, even those three different items or people or things, it's an animal, it's a coin, and it's a person. He covered all the bases. And at the end of all those, he says, let's throw a party. So there's like, God is always looking for a reason to party. And I'm always amazed that when we have food Sundays and things like that, people do come up to me and go, I'm really not in this. I don't like eating, you know, in corporate Greg gathering. And I get there's people that have issues with that or because of work or something. I get all that, you know. But I always think, when I do question people, are you going to work or something? No, no, I just don't. I really don't like that. I'm thinking, you know what? You're missing something that is supernaturally put into a soul that brings stability by being together with other people. You know, they've proven scientifically that singing in church on Sunday, even if you don't mean it, does something for your, your health. And you know, Christians are like the only people to do that. Who else gathers together? I don't, I don't think Google says, you know, let's just gather Sunday and sing some songs. They don't do it. People don't sing together. So I don't sing. How many of you sing at work? Probably not many of you. You just don't do it. It's not the cool thing to do. It's not cultural, you know. But we come together here and we do something we do not do any other time during the week. We lift up our voice for about 30 to 40 minutes and we sing praises to God. When you do that, we know there's dynamic in the spiritual sense that it, it opens the heavens and hills melt like wax in the presence of God. And he comes down and we go up and everything's, woo, it's amazing. What's also happening though is that your immune system is responding to it because you're singing. Even if you come and you don't sing, you're losing something. Yeah, but you've never heard me sing. You can blend in with the rest of it. No one's going to hear what you're saying. Just begin to sing to the Lord. I love you, Lord. If you can't get the words or you can't see them or you can't hear them, definitely hear you're hearing them. But if you can't hear them, you sing to the Lord. I praise you, oh God. I worship you, Lord. When you do that, it's a spiritual dynamic that's creating something also physically in your life. It's the same with food. He created food to be a spiritual dynamic of connection. Food is the glue. There's so much more. You're going to need to listen to my podcast this week. I'll deal with the rest of it. It'll come out on Wednesday or Thursday, I think. Check it out. I, there's, there's so much information on this about the dynamic of food and what it does. Let's all stand together if we could. So here's the deal. What does this all mean? Oh, man, I didn't get to talk about I may have to do this again next week. 
the Agape Feast, which is a 2,000-year tradition that's almost been totally lost. For the first 100 years, the Agape Feast was directly associated with the Eucharist. You feasted and you topped it off at the apex point of this beautiful meal that we're having together. Simple foods. And I'll list them either next Sunday or on the podcast. I'll list them out, what they were. These simple foods. There's nothing necessarily dynamic in the food, although I believe there's some prophetic significance to it. These simple foods, which basically was like an Italian charcuterie. That's really what it is. I mean, figs and various things, olives, marinated olives. I mean, it makes you hungry to talk about it. At that, and at the, at the pinnacle point of it, and let's remember the Lord and his shed blood and his broken body. What was, what was it doing? It was, in, it was bringing in the spiritual dynamic of what Jesus told us into a, an agape meal because it is the one flesh association with each other that we are one. As a church, we're not there yet. Church in America is definitely not there yet. But there will be a day. That's why when I hear Lou Engle say, I believe a revival of communion is coming to America. I go, you know, I haven't heard that, but I like it. I believe Lou. I've heard a lot of other people bring it up. Actually, Benny Johnson, before she died, wrote a best-selling book on communion. It was, all, it was her final thing. And man, what a power. It went worldwide. I mean, who's buying books on communion? Apparently a lot of people. There's a hunger, there's a desire to go back to something that's ancient, go back to something where people commune and love one another. I do not like the fact that in a church, a lot of the best friends of people that are here are outside of the church. I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong, but we need best friends in here. There's a communion of God that when we get this together, and this is the thing that you can do right now, you can do this right now, this is a supernatural prophetic act begin to open up your home and invite people over to eat. You say, well, my home's not clean or that they're not, they're not gonna look at that. They're gonna be excited that, co -pro, that, that uh, post-COVID, somebody's actually wanting them into their house. You know, the COVID, you can call it whatever you want. It was a demonic assignment. It was an antichrist movement against the church. Sometimes affecting it directly, but definitely depleting social understanding. It's something that we all need. Now they're finding all kinds of mental health issues connected with not being together. Of course, God called us. Even God himself said, it's not good for you to be alone. Even though you had your job, you know, he was naming animals. You lived in a paradise called Eden. You still need something else. You need another human being. God says, you put food with that, you've got an amazing trinity on earth. You, a friend, and some food. Lord, I bless this moment right now. I pray, Lord, I just, I just want to scratch the surface right now of everyone's soul. It's kind of an odd view, but the soul, we just say, Lord, whatever coding has been put on that soul to keep them from one another, we ask, Lord, this day, at least for this church in this location, this place called Jacob's Field, we ask, Lord God, that you pull back the veil 
that you would allow hearts to touch hearts and pure and honest and truth, able to speak without being canceled or silenced or ghosted, Lord. I pray for an ability to learn love through the difficulties of one another. As we share food, as we break bread together, I pray, Lord, for supernatural bonding to come into our lives. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Bind us together with love. I'm sorry, I'm running late here. Someone needs to text Middleburg. Let them know. I, I just, I, Jay, I don't know what to do with this right now. Maybe you will, but come on over here and get your microphone there. And we just wait in the presence of God. This is, this is post-worship here. There's something here of a binding. I, I don't know if, Let's just do this. Let's do this action. Everyone just with your just your right your right arm right arm touch the shoulder of the person to your right. So we're not doing right, left, left. You don't do that. Just the right arm. Just the right arm for now. That way it's not overwhelming. If you're at the end of the row and you're left out, oh well, the Lord will give you grace. So as you put your hand on that person, I want you to prophesy and pray something right now. I want you to just say simple to this song that we used to sing in the 70s, actually written in 74, bind us together, O Lord. Just, just say that, right? Just say, Lord, bind us together. You may not even know that person. Repeat it, just repeat it three or four times. Bind us together. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken, Lord. Bind us together. And may it be, may it bring fear into Brunswick. Like, who are those people? Behold, how they love one another. Bind us together. Oh Lord, with cords that cannot be broken. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.